listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of the Astros Future Podcast presented by Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. I'm your host, Jimmy Price, also known as Astros Future. You can find my work at AstrosFuture.com and find me on Twitter at Astros Future. And I'm your co-host, Brian Hamilton, and you can find me on Twitter at BHAM1720. And be sure to follow the official Apollo Media account at Apollo HOU, as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Today on the show, we're going to take our usual look around the minors, but first we're joined by an avid MLB draft follower and prospect writer, Spencer Morris, who covers the Astros and the Marlins prospects for SB Nation. Spencer, what's going on, my man? Just, uh, you know, hanging out, getting ready for 2022. 2022 already. It's, it, I think the draft was literally like a week and a half ago, and you're already focusing on 2022. I, I don't know how you do that. It's so many freaking picks, so many prospects, but man, the, the work you put together is phenomenal. And when did you start really looking at the 2021 draft? I mean, is it like immediately after the 2020 draft occurs? Is that, is that your typical timeline? Yeah, I mean, well, you're, we're kind of boxed into doing it that way in a, in a sense because the big prep showcases kick off kind of right after when the draft happens, uh, sort of just by coincidence. So this past week we've had the Perfect Game National Showcase going on. Um, it, like this year, it was really, truly just back to back. Uh, so, it, and that's, you know, one of the biggest opportunities that we get all season to see the prep players. So it's a big event as far as draft prep is concerned. So that's where my, a lot of my attention has been this past week, in addition to, you know, catching up with some of these 2021 guys who I hadn't studied prior to the draft. Yeah. So you know, I, I try to keep an eye on the draft. I, I try to follow some of the prospects, but it's tough when the Astros first pick is number 87 because they, they lost the first and second round pick due to the scandal and all that stuff. You know, when you have a, a mid first round pick, you can kind of pinpoint guys that maybe you hope they fall to you at this point. Number 87, I it's it's tough to, to project. And I think we kind of saw that on the draft. The, the first pick the Astros had number 87, they ended up taking an outfielder out of Nevada, Tyler Whitaker, a high school outfielder who was ranked number 37 by MLB and number 59 by Baseball America. And going into the draft, if I would have looked at the rankings, I would have thought there was no way a guy like that would have fell to the Astros and, and they were able to snag him at 87. So what's your take on him as a prospect and about the selection in general? Yeah, I mean, I think Whitaker, like you said, there was buzz for him in the top 50, uh, maybe even the late first round, um, even, including quite late in the process. Uh, that's something that was being discussed. So definitely a pleasant surprise that he slid down there for the Astros. I think um, the upside is definitely better than what you would expect from kind of your typical 87th overall pick. Um, he's got easy plus power. He's got a chance to uh, continue playing center field for a good while. I think probably the most likely long-term defensive home for him is going to be in right. But he projects as a very good defender there, so it's not like he's just a, it's a pure slugger profile. 
Um, he is a good runner. It'll probably slow down a little bit because he's going to get a lot bigger uh, than he is right now. But like I said, you know, it's plus power. The hit tool probably isn't going to be a huge part of his profile. Um, there are some concerns about how he handles breaking stuff. There are some concerns about, you know, the overall plate coverage. But um, when he does connect, he's going to make, you know, very impactful con contact. So it's a potential heart of the order kind of profile with a little bit of defensive value. Um, I think the Astros will definitely have to go over slot uh, to mm -hmm. get him at 87, but, you know, certainly an everyday player ceiling. So it's good to come away with a guy like that uh, without any early picks. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, whenever, whenever the Astros took him, uh, he was ranked 37th by MLB, 59 by Baseball America. He fell to 87 and we snatched him up there. And shortly after we signed him, I saw someone in local media tweet out that I guess they had reached out to him and asking if there was an agreement in place. And he had said that there wasn't an agreement in place. He's kind of 50-50 in the middle, whether or not he's going to honor his uh, Arizona commit to go to college or sign with the Astros. Uh, and you had just mentioned, Spencer, that you know he was thought to be a possible late first round pick. Did you think maybe signability played a factor into that with him falling all the way to third round? Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, I mean, the MLB draft kind of has that signability wrinkle that the other ones don't have. Um, and because of that, uh, the order that the players come off the board in really isn't too reflective of, you know, how their talent is viewed around the league. I think that Whitaker probably even for the teams that were a little bit lower on him probably had, you know, him graded somewhere in the second round. So I think in terms of, you know, the pick order, it's absolutely like a very strong value for Houston. Um, I think they'll end up paying him probably in that kind of second round range. So from a bonus pool standpoint, you know, not as big of a value. Uh, but like I said, when you're picking 87 to be able to come away with a guy who has like a definite uh, everyday player upside, mm -hmm. even if you're paying him a little more, I, I think that's a, a great result. Oh yeah, for sure. And then we move over to the fourth round. The second pick that we had overall, 117th overall, we took a shortstop named Alex Uloa out of Calvary Christian Academy in Florida. Uh, he was ranked number 165 overall by MLB Network. Looks like we do have an agreement uh, for him uh, to sign here with the Astros, and he is going to be foregoing his commitment to Oklahoma State. Do you have any thoughts on Alex Uloa? Yeah, so uh, like you said, he was at Calvary Christian um, their team also had Andy Painter and Irv Carter, uh, who were first and fifth round picks, respectively, um, at the top of their rotation, uh, two pitchers. So that team, all year long, going back 2020, um, had a ton of attention surrounding it. So he's been on the radar through pretty much the entire cycle. Earlier on, like back in summer of 2020, he was kind of seen as a potential day one guy he was kind of standing out amongst that group of uh, sort of bat first, second base prep prospects of which there were kind of a lot this past year. Um, a couple of guys in that group had better springs than him and kind of passed him up in the rankings, but he still had a very good year on the whole. It was a little bit up and down like throughout the spring, but when you look at the season line, he ended up like in a very good place at the end of the day. I, to, for me, what stands out most in his profile is the bat. I think that he shows 
Um, really good feel for contact, feel for the barrel. He squares up pitches uh, with pretty good consistency when everything is working for him mechanically. Um, he's got really good hands at the plate, and he also has really good hands in the field, too. Um, I think he definitely fits up the middle somewhere. It might not be a shortstop long term, but that's really purely uh, for me just a product of the arm strength being more of like an average tool which can play at shortstop, but generally shortstop, we see guys with a little bit more arm strength. Um, but in terms of his, his range and the way he fields the ball on the infield, I think it all plays uh, at a pretty high level. So if it's not a long-term shortstop fit, I think his move over to second base is a very uh, easy and smooth transition. Um, like I said, the, the hit tool, I think, that shows potential to be above average, but there's also a decent amount of power projection with him too. Um, not only with uh, his body having a chance to get bigger, but also just in terms of potentially with, you know, tinkering with the swing mechanics a little bit, I think there's room to, to bring out more of the raw power. Uh, but he is a guy already who does drive the ball uh, in, in a game setting. Um, he makes a lot of line drive contact. So I think he's another player who, uh, if you're talking about the upside kind of outcome, there, there is everyday upside with him as well. So we're only two picks into it. And after hearing what, what you have to say about Whitaker and about Uloa, it seems like without having the first and second round pick, the Astros are going to walk away from this draft with having two guys with extremely high upside out of high school that maybe could have been even drafted earlier. So sounds like those two picks are, are really going to be ones to watch and I'm very excited for their future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, they kind of got two different flavors of higher upside prep guys. Uh, Ulloa, you know, he's got the bat um, a little more refined at this stage, and you're hoping to add uh, the power on to, to bring, you know, kind of more upside out of him. And then Whitaker is kind of the inverse of that, where you know there's going to be power, mm -hmm. and you're just trying to help him hit as much as he can um, to get to that with as much frequency as possible. So the next pick they had, it was a, uh, in the fourth round, it was their comp pick for the losing George Springer to the Blue Jays. They took Chase McDermott, a uh, right-handed pitcher out of Ball State, had some really good numbers, 125 strikeouts in 82 and two-thirds innings this season in, in college. What's your take on him as a, as a, as a prospect? And looking at the pre-draft rankings, it looks like he was probably selected right about where uh, many expected him to go. Yeah, I think, you know, the value is appropriate, like you said, and I, I probably would have uh, had him ranked a little bit higher than where he ended up going. Um, when I put together my, my list of like kind of my 50 favorite pitchers in the class, he didn't quite make it on there, but he was in kind of the first group out. Um, so I had him very close to that range. Uh, he shows a lot of different stuff on the mound. Uh, as many as four pitches. I think that there's a chance that um, he'll continue to throw all four of those for as long as he continues starting. Um, I would say that uh, the slider and change up stand out, you know, ahead of the, the curveball a little bit, but there's definitely potential for him, him to have, you know, as multiple above average secondaries um, in, in his pitch mix. And, you add that onto a fastball that improved quite a bit over the last year, um, and you have a pretty interesting profile. 
uh, as an underclassman, he was working mostly kind of in the upper 80s to low 90s. And then in 2021, he was able to kind of push the floor up into the low 90s and was occasionally touching as high as like 97, 98. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not sure where that kind of velocity is going to settle in if he's continuing to work a starter's workload. Um, I think that, you know, that's kind of going to be one of the big things to watch with him early on, because I do expect it'll be sent out as a starter. Um, there's definitely potential for him to stick in the rotation with like the number of quality secondary offerings that he has in addition to a pretty good strike throwing that has also been improving um, in recent history. But if that doesn't end up working out, I think he shows you a lot of upside as a bullpen arm too. Um, because, you know, with those guys who are able to show you are, are able to flash that top level velocity, they generally end up uh, show, uh, throwing a lot harder when they move to throwing, you know, single inning or two inning kind right. of stints. Um, and I think he would be a guy who would, who would have that kind of experience in the bullpen. So um, I like him a lot. I think that, you know, he'll be given every opportunity to start. It's maybe a bit more likely that he ends up being more of a setup man type, but I think there's a good chance that there's a, a big league role for him down the line if he can stay healthy. Those sound like three great um, wrap-ups about those top three picks with Whitaker, Uloa, and McDermott. Outside of those three, who else among our top 10 picks that we had this year are you most excited about? Yeah, I mean, I think that they all have some uh, bit of appeal in their own way. Um, but the the ones that stand out the most for me in that part of their class would be uh, the fifth round pick Quincy Hamilton uh, from Wright State, who with him, you know, he's already 23, which is a big red flag. But he checks a lot of boxes from kind of an eye test perspective. Uh, perspective um we talk about his uh his tools like he's a an above average runner with at least an ability to play like a, a fringe average center field like on a part-time basis um so that should give him the versatility to play at any of the three outfield spots which is what you would most prefer out of like a kind of potential bench outfielder um, but he's also got uh, some pretty good power in his bat. You, we have to keep in mind that the Wright State home ballpark is one of the more power friendly in college baseball. But uh, like even having said that, his overall uh, numbers were perhaps the very best of any hitter in college baseball in 2021. Um, you know, so like we're talking about a guy who hit 390 with power, uh, was a threat on the base pads, was playing center field. So, I mean, he is 23 years old. He's not going to have a lot of time to make adjustments as he comes up through the minor leagues, but he shows you a little bit of everything uh, in his profile. And I think, you know, that gives him a, a pretty good chance of potentially being a bench outfielder at some point, uh, just with the versatility, a little bit of power, um, very advanced bat. I think, you know, that could be a guy who moves quite quickly. But maybe my favorite pick that they had in kind of that the later stages of day two um, would have to be Colton Gordon, uh, the eighth round pick out of UCF. Um, unfortunately, it'll be quite a while before we actually get to see what he can do. 
um, because he's currently recovering from Tommy John surgery that he just had a couple of months ago. So we really won't see him fully up to speed until like 2023, which kind of sucks. But um, he was a guy who took over as the Friday starter for UCF this past year and was really dominant before he ended up going down with that elbow injury. Um, he's a lefty who throws from kind of a lower slot and his best secondary pitch is a slider that breaks like largely horizontally. Um, most guys who have those traits, um, well, I wouldn't say most, but let's say it's not uncommon for guys who have those traits to kind of have a, a sharper platoon split in, the, in their results. Um, but that was not the case for him at the college level. Um, those pitches were pretty equally effective for, effective for him against righties and lefties. Um, and the other thing that's really interesting about his uh, statistical profile is that not only did he have a very strong strikeout rate, which is probably like, you know, the number one number that we're looking at uh, in a college player's stat line, he also created a lot of infield fly balls, which um, isn't always the most stable statistic year over year, but he did do it um, both in 2020 and 2021. Um, so even with 2020 being a bit of a shorter sample, I think that, you know, can give us a little bit more confidence that that's sort of a stable skill uh, in his toolkit. Um, and that's, you know, a very intriguing combination. There's not a ton of guys who have both a high K rate and can create that kind of uh, infield fly contact. So I'm intrigued by that. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff in the numbers. The stuff definitely plays like when you watch them on video, I think the fastball is of major league quality and the slider is, you know, potentially even above average. Uh, if he's going to keep starting, he'll need to improve his third pitch. Uh, to some level, and it's probably another guy who it's more likely he goes into the bullpen where he can just focus on that fastball slider. Um, but, you know, I think there's a lot to work with there. So once he is healthy, um, he's going to be a guy that I'm watching quite closely as well. Rounds 11 through 20, the Astros took primarily fourth-year uh, junior seniors, but the last two picks they did take a shortstop, Hector Nieves, out of Puerto Rico Baseball Academy and then an outfielder, Jackson Lynn, uh, out of high school. Do you think there's any chance that the Astros, Astros actually might be able to sign those guys, or do you think they were just kind of throwaway picks shot in the dark? And, uh, and if so, what kind of prospect uh, might, be, might we be looking at? Yeah, I think they have a chance to maybe sign one of the two. I think coming away with both is probably just about impossible. Um, you look at how their class landed. I think that as with the size of their bonus pool being what it is, which is exceptionally small. Um, I think that most of that money is going to go to the top two picks. I don't think mm -hmm. there's going to be a heck of a lot left over there, but um, with the rest of their selections, you know, they took a lot of seniors. They're probably going to have some pretty minuscule bonuses amongst that group. Um, so I do think there's a chance, you know, they end up with, uh, some leftover amount of money in the six figures range somewhere uh, that they can, you know, offer to either Lynn or Nieves and say like, hey, this is, you know, the best we can do right now. We'd love to have you. Um, 
And I think, you know, maybe they're able to come away with one of them that way. I, I do think that um, both of those guys have, you know, the kind of potential where you should be quite motivated to, uh, to do your, your absolute best to sign them. Uh, Lynn in particular, I think, has really uh, intriguing upside, um, a very, like, an outfielder with very well-rounded tools who can impact the game in a lot of ways. Um, is starting to come on with the bat pretty nicely as his uh, prep career uh, continued. So, you know, I would be really thrilled if they were able to add him to the system. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, um, they're, they are still definitely in need of, you know, position players with upside. Um, both of those guys fit into that category. So I think they, they would both be great additions, but it, yeah, I do expect that it'll be an uphill battle to, to get those deals done. Yeah. You know, outside of the draft, you know, kind of taking a look at the Astros uh, farm system overall, one guy that I'm really excited about, and I know a lot of other Astros fans are too, is Corey Lee. And, and, you know, our, our system has gotten uh, this year to where we've seen a lot of guys promoted and Corey Lee is one of those guys. What are your overall thoughts on Corey Lee? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen Corey, twice in person this year uh both games he was behind the plate and i think that i feel pretty solid right now on him as the number one prospect in the Astros system um i think that defensively he's looking really good um the the arm for me has been like almost a pleasant surprise i knew that like it was a solid part of his game coming into the year but i've seen him make some really impressive throws to to nail runners this season um his overall you know rate of of catching runners has been very strong um he looks good receiving the ball you know like i've i've one of the games i was at you know he was getting a lot of pitches in the dirt um like a lot of tough breaking pitches to handle and i i can't recall the ball ever getting away from him um, so I think that, you know, both in terms of receiving and throwing, he's looking very much on track, uh, to stick at that position. He's even been playing, you know, a little bit of third base to maybe add to the versatility. I didn't get a chance to see that in person yet, but I, you know, I think it's interesting if nothing else. Um, and then at the plate, obviously he's been hitting, he's been hitting for power, but what's really stood out, um, when I've watched him up close has just been how discerning he is as a hitter. Um, his eye, I just find to be really outstanding. Um, you really, it's really rare to see him swing at, uh, you know, like fastballs that are just off the plate. He doesn't like wave at the breaking balls way out of the zone. Um, it's just a very mature approach all around. And it's hard for me to find like where the big weakness is in his game. I don't, I don't really think there is one. Um, you know, he's not very fast, so maybe that, <laughs> but I think the, the defensive game is looking really solid. And I think that, you know, outside of just like having, you know, more explosive bat speed or being a little bigger, um, there's not a whole lot more that he could show you at the plate either. Um, so uh, obviously, you know, it takes a lot to get a guy prepared to handle a big league pitching staff and call games Mm -hmm. and like that aspect of the catcher position. I'm sure there's still more that he needs to work on there before he's quite ready to take over. Like I certainly wouldn't be talking about him, you know, taking Maldonado's job for the stretch run or anything like that. But um, I think you look past this season 
he's really looking like the guy at the catcher position and I'm, I'm getting pretty excited about him. Yeah, definitely. And, and down in Corpus Christi, there's another prospect who we've, we've all been paying a lot of attention to, and that's Pedro Leon, who got a big signing bonus to, out of Cuba, come over here, started out pretty rough the first two weeks of the season, but over the last, I think about 45 games, something like that, he's, He's hitting a little over 300, starting to show the power, drawing some walks, still striking out maybe a little bit too much, but you've started to see that improvement and kind of what got him that big bonus. But what's your take on Leon? And do you think there's any chance that maybe Lee or Leon end up on a, a you know a baseball America or a fan graphs or a MLB top hundred prospect list when they do the midseason update? Yeah, I think with Leon, what stands out the most in his profile for me is the the defensive tool set like his ability to deliver like high velocity accurate throws from pretty much any platform is like pretty rare talent um i haven't seen him in person at shortstop he was playing center field uh at the game where i was able to see him Mm -hmm. um but he made I, i just remember him making a throw like from center field into second base without setting his feet whatsoever and just putting it on a rope, like right on the, right on the glove. And I was like, like, you know, that's not something you see every time you go to a minor league ballpark. Um, so that, you know, that mm-hmm. stuck with me. And I think that obviously that's like a very valuable uh, skill to have when you're uh, whether you're in center field or at shortstop um, from what I've seen of him on TV at shortstop, it seems like he's taken to that position pretty well. Um, so there's potential for him to be like the rare guy who can move between infield and outfield. Uh, we have seen some players, uh, generate like a lot of value in a kind of u- non-traditional utility role where mm-hmm. they're playing, you know, both of those spots. Um, maybe that's something that's in his future, uh, at the plate. I think that it's not quite as well-rounded overall, Um, there are like definite positives there. I think that like his approach is, is pretty patient or at least, um, it's becoming more so, uh, the more we see of him this season, I, I would like to see the swing decisions continue to improve some. I do, I do think, you know, we see him kind of, uh, take, uh, some pretty hittable pitches early in counts that I would like to see him jump on. Um, and, you know, things of that nature, it is a big swing. And I think there's always going to be some swing and miss to it, but he gets to his power in games very readily. So that helps to kind of balance out some of the uh, aspects of the offense that aren't quite as solid. Um, so I think he has the potential to be impactful with the bat as well. It's just going to be a matter of just how much improvement there is remaining for his plate approach. Um, I think, you know, there, the potential is there for him to be kind of like a top of the order type of guy. Mm -hmm. Um, He can run, he, he will draw a walk and uh, you know, he gives you that kind of power to spark the offense up there. Um, But there's also, you know, there's also the outcomes where he's more of a, bottom of the order guy who doesn't get on, on base at a super high clip, but when he does connect, he's making a big impact. So the range of outcomes is still on the wider side with him. I think, you know, we'll have to keep watching and see how the approach continues to develop. I do think he's a guy that has the potential to get into a top 100. 
Um, I don't think he's quite there yet, though I, I do think, you know, he would be in kind of that next group, uh, the sort of others receiving votes category, uh, if you will. Yeah. Um, but and then with Lee, I think that uh, I would put him right in a top 100 right now, I think. Um, I haven't ranked it out myself at this point. I don't have an updated top 100. I've been focused on the draft a little bit more than the minors over the last you know month or so. But um, just from my experience reading top 100 lists and like knowing what type of player ends up on those lists, I think that Lee, uh, with what he's shown, fits squarely into that category. So looking at the lower levels and not focusing on the double AA, A, triple A, is if there was one guy that you had to kind of put money on that would make a leap over the next year or two from an unknown prospect to a, a surefire top 10 in the system kind of guy, which, which guy are you picking? Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, my, my favorite guy at the lower levels will continue to be Colin Barber, but uh, with him out for the year, I'll, uh, I'll talk about some other guys since obviously he won't be making that kind of jump uh, mm-hmm. in the short term. Um, I think the, the ones that stand out the most as having that kind of upside potential are uh, a couple of the pitchers, Tamarez and Santos. Um, Santos has the big pedigree. Uh, he was, you know, obviously their, their top draft pick last year. He has been, um, you know, a mixed bag this year so far. Mm-hmm. The command has come and gone, but you look at the one-two punch that he has, the athleticism he shows on the mound, uh, the delivery is, is pretty nice and clean and athletic. Um, I expect the strike throwing is going to get a lot better with time. Um, and I think that, you know, both the fastball and the slider have swing and miss qualities to them. So there's potential for him to be a guy who sticks in the rotation and racks up a ton of strikeouts. So obviously that's always, you know, the kind of guy you want to have in your system. Um, with Tamarez, uh, another guy who has the potential to stick in the rotation with a lot of strikeouts, but he does it a little bit differently. Um, his fastball is also very explosive. You know, it's into the mid nineties. It's getting, it's still adding velocity and uh, adding consistency to the velocity. Um, but it looks like it's going to be a pitch that really plays probably um, at least above average at maturity. And then he's also got a really advanced changeup that I think um, has already kind of slotted in as his go-to swing and miss offering, go-to secondary offering. Um, his breaking stuff is not on the same level as either of those top two pitches, but we have seen him experimenting with it more this year. We've seen it flash a little bit. So I think that seeing as we're only looking for the breaking stuff to act as the third option in his arsenal, mm-hmm. I think it's showing the, the potential to play that role for him. Um, he needs to throw more strikes. Uh, the strike throwing has been very up and down this year, probably a little bit more down than up, but he does have days where, you know, everything looks synced up in the delivery and he is throwing a lot of strikes. So I, you know, I think if he could have those kinds of days a little more often going forward, he'll have a lot more believers uh, as a starting pitcher. And with that, uh, the rankings could potentially follow. Um, then uh, obviously, you know, guys like Dari Lorenzo, um, who, we haven't seen in full season ball yet, but have right. these these glowing reports from their amateur days. Uh, there's the potential for a guy like that too. Um, 
the catchers, Perry and Rodriguez. I like both of them. I'm not sure their upside is quite in that top 10 kind of range, but I do think uh, they can rise. Awesome, Spencer. Well, I really appreciate the information. The the stuff that you, you give us about the draft is invaluable. The, the reports you yep. put together on the crawfish boxes and, and the, the draft stuff that you put out immediately after the pick is, is awesome information. Before I let you go, tell the people where they can find you at, where they can find your work. Yeah, I mean, the best uh, way to find my work is just to follow me on Twitter at Prospect Spencer. Um, you'll see me on crawfish boxes and fish stripes. Uh, also, my personal blog, Diamond Dreams, uh, with, uh, that I run with Anthony, uh, Ephus Tosser. Um, but everything I post uh, will be going up on my Twitter feed. So if you want to see it all in one place, that's the spot. All right, well, that's going to do it for segment one. In the next segment, Brian and I are going to take a look around the system, and we'll get to that in just a moment. And continuing on here at the Astros Future Podcast, presented by Apollo Media. If you enjoy the show, do us a favor and drop us a review or leave us some stars. So we'll get to the minor league system. We'll do our little look around the minors, start down in AAA. The Skeeters are 35 and 27. The story... What it feels like has been pretty much the whole season has been the outfield. Jake Myers is, is the top guy down there right now, 25-year-old outfielder, elite defensively, uh, hit another homer yesterday. He's up to 16 home runs, which ties for the uh, the Astros organization, lead minor league organization. Phenomenal performance from him. And then and then De La Cruz down in uh, Sugarland as well, just putting up great numbers, really showing that the Astros have a nice depth of outfielders if uh, if anything was to happen to the major league roster. Yeah, for sure, man. You know, we're getting closer and closer to that July 31st trade deadline. Uh, we're just under two weeks away. So, um, you know, a lot of these guys, I know we've talked about Jose Siri a lot, possibly being trade bait. Uh, not even sure how likely that is. Right. But, you know, um, we kind of we, we were we were kind of talking on Twitter uh, the other day with some other people about some are thinking that to get a reliever at the trade deadline, we're going to trade a top prospect. And I don't think that's the case at all. And I know mm -hmm. you agree with that. But uh, these are the kinds of guys that are putting up these numbers that we could end up using. I know you and I don't really want to trade Jake Myers, but, you know, a Jose Siri type or somebody that's at AAA that could be ready pretty soon, as we've said, could be one of those helpful uh, tools to like a rebuilding team, you know, and, and the, the more that they put up these numbers, the better it is that it helps us out. Yeah, for sure. And the, the, the outfield performance by all three of those guys has been great. And it's just nice to see, especially a guy like Myers, who was, a, I think, a 13th, 14th round pick. He made his way through the minors. The numbers weren't phenomenal. He gets up to AAA and the glove improves, and now he's hitting for power. A career high and homers coming into the season was nine. He's got 16 already. So really great season for him. But on the pitching side, Peter Solomon, we've seen him up at the Astros a little bit. I think he had a, he pitched in a couple games. He's had been up and down a little bit with Sugarland, but his highs have been really good. And his last start – he went seven innings, gave up one hit, one run, and struck out eight. You know, and he's he's the youngest pitcher on the Skeeters roster. He's 24, but he's had some really good performances. And he's a guy that I think the Astros could end up looking at as a potential rotation guy next year, depending on what happens with a, a Grinky and a Verlander if they decide to go younger or whatever. But just another good performance by Solomon. And I think that's like his second or third, like dominant start like that. So you're seeing the upside from a guy like him. Yeah, for sure, man. And I mean, it, it's good that he's been getting his feet wet this year at the major league level, kind of seeing what the big show has to offer. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, going back down to, to AAA to keep his innings and his arm consistent. You know, it, it's it's definitely a welcome sight because, like you said, he could be a rotation option for us next year. Granky Verlander, it's not just Carlos Correa that's a free agent. Right. We have Granky and Verlander that are also free agents. Now, 
I tend to think we'll bring back one of those three, but you know, worst case scenario, they're all gone. At least we have someone in house that could replace one of them uh, with Solomon. Definitely. We'll jump down to double A, the Corpus Christi hooks. The record's not too hot right now, but overall they're, they're still, uh, there's a lot of good prospects. They're a really fun team to watch right now. Corey Lee, main guys down in double A. So he's still killing it. Uh, he's played in 27 double A games. He's got eight homers, 10 walks to 10 strikeouts. So, you know, making contact, hitting for power. He's caught seven of 16 base stealers. And I, I posted a, vi- a video yesterday on, on Twitter where he caught a guy from uh, basically threw him out from his knees. So just a really good performance by what some may think is the Astros top prospect. Uh, and he's doing it at a high level. And, Man, I, I couldn't be more excited for this guy's future. Oh, I know, man. And, you know, after talking with Spencer earlier about that in the last segment, I mean, he, it's not just, you know, nor, like just your your run-of-the-mill fans that are excited because he's a first-round mm-hmm. pick. Everyone that, uh, you know, is associated with the Astros and a lot of fans are just super excited for Corey Lee. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, we haven't had high picks uh, lately and, you know, in, in some years going back to even before the World Series win. But, you know, the last prospect I remember being this pumped for was Alex Bregman. And we mm-hmm. all know what happened with Bregman. But uh, I'm not trying to compare him to Alex Bregman. But, yeah. man, just just the fact that there's not a lot of Buster Posies out there. Right. Just, you know, the, the, the guy that can hit, play good defense from behind the plate. Everything like that is just it, – it, it's looking really good for, for Corey Lee to be that guy for the Astros. And I know you've said it multiple times and so have I. But I don't think that the Astros have ever had that kind of catching prospect, like ever nope. in 50 years. Have they ever had a catching prospect who was, you know, good defensively, had a good arm, and just mashed the ball? Yeah, I, I like you said, I can't be more, I couldn't be more excited for him. Yeah, and then I'm excited for him. And then there's another guy down in Double A who I'm excited about and who's been hitting the ball well, Pedro Leon. He's up to a, a yep. OPS over 800 now. He's got nine homers, but over his last 30 games, he's hitting 305 with a, a 411 on base percentage, 562 slugging. Got seven homers, 22 RBIs, 10 stolen bases. He's drawn walks. You're really starting to see like we were talking about with Spencer, why he got that $4 million sign-in bonus. And you just, you're, you're, you're seeing what he can do. He's showing the, the tools, he's showing the, the raw power that he has. I mean, we've seen a couple of the home runs that he's had in, in Corpus Christi have been just absolutely demolished. They're not, they're not fence scrapers. And yeah, he's just, a, he's kind of finally putting it together, been solid at shortstop and in the outfield when they've had him out there. And it, it took him some time, but we're finally starting to see why he was one of the most sought after international signings. Yeah, I can't remember who it was. It, you know, hey, it, it may have even been you, Jimmy. I can't remember. But somebody on Twitter put his stats, like taking away his first month in, the, in, in minor league baseball, which I believe mm-hmm. they started in May. Uh, he's basically been a 300 hitter. He's had great uh, on base numbers and everything. Yep. Starting basically from June first on, I know it's just under two months, but that's still a pretty good sample size, you know. And, and it's the one thing that we kept saying from the beginning with him: he hadn't played organized baseball in right. some years. Yep. It wasn't just the the you know the the you know I can't even think of the word right now, but um, my mind just went blank. But it wasn't him having to get used to uh, you know coming to America. Mm-hmm. He was also having to get used to play organized baseball as well. And sure. It looks like he has, and, and everything's looking good for Pedro Leon. Yeah, and another guy who got a, a promotion from high A to double A recently, Joe Perez, who was was killing it down in Fayetteville and in Asheville. He's struggling a little bit in double A. He's only hitting 156. But he's only played in 16 games. He's In those 16 games, he struck out 16 times, which isn't an alarming rate, so uh, still early for him. But the pitching sign, we've seen a lot of, of a lot better pitching in double A of recent. And one guy for sure, Hunter Brown, 
he's the guy that has that top of the rotation stuff. And he started out this uh, season a little shaky, but he's recently been really pitching the ball well. For his last four outings, he's struck out 28 and only 16 innings and only walked six. And six were kind of a – or the walks were kind of an issue for him. So he started to to get those down to 2.20 ERA over the last four outings. So he's starting to show you why a lot of people are high on him. And he's doing it with his his high fastball, his good big breaking curveball. And it's just another good performance down in the double uh, A. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. So, so just real quick on Joe Perez, I'm not concerned with that at all. Mm-hmm. He blew up two of the le- two lower levels already right. this year. And we, we, one thing that we kept saying over and over again was that he needed to be challenged a little bit more. Um, pretty sure James Click agreed, which is why he's in double A. Yep. So, uh, you know, he, he's being challenged right now. This is the level where he should be at. Uh, I don't think anybody should be alarmed with those numbers. He just right. has to get acclimated to a little bit better uh, competition, better pitching. But yeah, he's looking good, man. And yeah, Hunter Brown, that's that's a guy that you've been high on for a while now. It's certainly exciting to see that we do have at least one uh, pitcher in the system that has that top of the rotation type of arm. So yeah. it'll be uh, fun to watch his progress over the rest of this year and going into next season. And another pitcher down in Corpus Christi that's just had phenomenal numbers basically all season, Jonathan Bermudez. He was a I think a 23rd round pick a few years ago, but this year he's got 13 walks to 85 strikeouts in just 58 innings. In his last start, he threw six scoreless innings and struck out 10, didn't walk anybody. Um, he's not going to blow you away, but he's deceptive. He's got he's got solid stuff, and he's got a you know solid off-speed stuff, low 90s fastball, and, and just putting up some really impressive walk-to-strikeout numbers. And hopefully he'll get an opportunity to pitch in Sugarland at some point this year, but that we've talked about it over and over. It feels like every week the Astros are, are do well at finding pitchers, kind of diamonds in the rough kind of guys, and, and Bermudez might be another one. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, maybe he'll find his way to Sugarland. I mean, it looks like Sugarland's going to be uh, heading to the playoffs at some point this year. I'm not quite sure about Corpus Christi, so they could see that as an opportunity to get him up with uh, the AAA team uh, to help out with their playoff chances. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, you're right. I mean, we keep finding these pitchers and we're getting the most out of them, but our, our, our organization is known for that, especially on the pitching side. Yeah, and I did get a, a Twitter question on uh, Bermudez, which I'll answer right now. And they, it was uh, at Texas Fight on Twitter had asked if uh, if Jonathan Bermudez could be called up in September as a possible lefty in the bullpen, given the numbers that he's put up so far. And I don't really see that happen mainly because the, the Astros' forty man roster is so so full right now. They've already had an issue of um, all the guys they've had to add to it this year with the injuries and things. And I don't really see. Bermudez getting an opportunity this September. Um, I've looked at his splits, and he has good numbers both against righties and lefties. But I think next year would be more likely that he would get an opportunity. But talking on talking on the relief, Nick Hernandez, another uh, relief pitcher who had some good numbers when he first came to the system, had some injury issues, but he's back this year. He struck out 41 in 29 innings and a 2.15 ERA. So another guy who probably needs to be in Sugarland at some point. And you're starting to see these guys, the Brown, the Bermudez, the Hernandez. If you get these good pitching performances then, you know, maybe next year the Astros have some guys that they can rely on to hopefully add to the bullpen. Yeah, and, you know, that, that's something that you and I have always kind of debated. Well, not necessarily debated because we've always kind of agreed, but, you know, whenever you get to free agency, you see teams overpay for these bullpen arms, and the Astros never really did that. Mm-hmm. We've signed players, but you don't see us go out there and you pay that huge price for a closer. You know, we have Ryan Presley for one more year, and then in all likelihood he's, he's going to be gone. But good teams find a way to produce bullpen arms from within. You know, the the good Astros teams of the late 90s, early to mid-2000s, we did that. Ridge, mm-hmm. Qualls, these are guys that we just had in the system, you know. Right. And, you know, talking about Bermudez and Nick Hernandez, that's two guys that could be valuable uh, members of a, of a bullpen uh, somewhere down the line for the Astros. You're seeing right now, everyone is seeing right now with our bullpen just how – 
you know, valuable, good quality arms in the bullpen can be. So mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely a welcome sight to see. Yeah. So we'll jump down to high, a, the tourist, uh, the, the record, they've been struggling a little bit, but they've, they've been having some, some pretty good performance. Shea Whitcomb is a guy we talked about quite a bit, a fifth round pick from 2020. So we didn't get to see him in the minor leagues last year, but uh, started out, did pretty well for Fayetteville. He got promoted to high a, and he's got four homers, five stolen bases in 12 games so far. And he actually homered again today, which would be his fifth, but overall in the season, he's got 12 homers. 19 stolen bases and a middle infield prospect who's kind of showing some some power and some speed. And then Matthew Barefoot is a, another guy who started off the season hot, got promoted to high he's, or high. A. He's been there for 39 games now, but he's continued to, to play well. He does strike out a little bit, but he had 14 home runs coming into today. He's got two homers today for the Taurus to give him uh, 16 total for the season. So he's gonna he's tying. Jake Myers for the the lead in the Astros system. So just another good outfield prospect that is probably almost ready for double A Corpus Christi at some point. And whenever the trade deadline rolls around, especially if somebody was to get traded, you could see some dominoes fall and maybe barefoot get an opportunity in uh, Corpus Christi. Yeah, I was just going to say something similar to that, which uh, we're probably not going to be looking at any more big promotions, at least I don't think so, until after the trade deadline, just so that we can see, you know, what did we have to sacrifice in a trade? what positions are available to be bumped up, stuff like mm-hmm. that. But, you know, I do think Whitcomb and Barefoot are the two that are the most likely to get bumped up from high A to double A, you know, at least for the remainder of the season, just so that they can get a taste of what they're going to be experiencing next year whenever mm-hmm. they start off. Because those guys will definitely be in double A to start the season next year, I would think. Yeah, and then another guy who had some uh, some had a lot of uh, potential. You know, he's a, he was a high international signing for Otis Nova. Uh, struggled for the majority of the season. He he started out like first couple games were really good. Got injured, came back and kind of struggled. But over his last twelve games, he's hitting three thirty three, four doubles, two homers. So nice to see him kind of showing it again. And on the pitching side, Jonathan Sprinkle. I, I didn't even put his ERA in our little sheet that we put together here, but walks are an issue for him. But he struck out forty four and twenty one in a third innings in relief this year. And the guy's got awesome strikeout stuff. If he can get his, his walks under control, you know you could be looking at a, a bullpen arm that maybe plays up at the major league level, but I mean, to, to strike out that many in 21 and a third innings, and he was an undrafted free agent signing last year in 2020. So get those walks under control, but man, he's showing what he can do with the strikeouts. Yep, for sure. And just another name, another pitcher that we've gotten that yep. has been doing this with this just, you know, I don't even know what to call it anymore, man. Like some sort of like, you know, not, I don't want to say wizardry because that just makes it sound goofy, but mm-hmm. you know, just the system, our, our organization has a very good track record and a good reputation yeah. uh, for developing young pitchers and getting the most out of them that they possibly can. It's not about spider tack or any other crap that the national media will tell you. We just, we just have a really good organization that has good coaches that do their job very, very well. And, and this guy, he's just another example of it. Yeah. And one more guy we'll talk about before we go down to, to low A, the woodpeckers, Tyler Brown, he was a, pretty much a, a dominant closer at Vanderbilt and the Astros drafted him uh, last year and he's had some up and downs this year. Asheville's a tough place to pitch, but his last start, he went six innings, gave up a run and struck out seven. So he's starting to put it together too. And that, like you said, that'd just be another pitcher. The Astros have continued yep. to develop. We'll jump down to the woodpeckers. The, the main guy to keep an eye on right now is JC Correa. And it's not because he's Carlos Correa's younger brother. It's because he's just literally destroying the ball right now. He's, he's up to three Oh six on the season, but his last 29 games, He's hitting 364, 12 doubles, three homers. He's got 15 walks to just nine strikeouts over his last 29 games. Uh, the guy is, I mean, he's, he's mashing the ball right now, hitting for average, drawing some walks, not striking out. Uh, I'm surprised he hasn't been promoted to, to high A yet. I don't know if they're just waiting for somebody else to, to maybe take a spot in Fayetteville, but the way he's hitting over the last you know month or two, he's, he's, he's ready for another challenge. 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I was just going to say, if we, if we see guys such as Whitcomb or Barefoot get bumped up from high A to double A, you could see J.C. Correa be one of those guys that takes a spot up at uh, high A, even though mm-hmm. he's not technically an outfielder, you know, you still fill that spot. Um, it's all about production. And, and God, man, you said it. He is just absolutely on fire. Um, you know, just another great uh, season that he's having. Yeah, and then another catcher down in uh, Fayetteville that's playing well outside of Nate Perry and Nario, uh, Nario Rodriguez, but Luke Berryhill. The Astros acquired him for Sanel Perez uh, this last year, and he's 23, but he's down in low A. But he's hitting 305 with 10 homers so far this year, but in July already, which are about a little over halfway through the month, he's hitting 380 with five homers. So another catcher who probably is, is ready yep. for a promotion up to high A. And just nice to get these performances out of guys that maybe coming into the year you really weren't expecting. Well, yeah, and you know, one thing that I took away from that, like you said, he was acquired for Perez. Perez, whenever we dealt him, uh, that's one thing I loved about Luno was, and uh, you know, before somebody would hit free agency or if if it just wasn't working out here, he would deal him somewhere. That way, we got some sort of value for him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we dealt Marisnik whenever Marisnik had a, a year left on his deal, I believe. Um, same thing with Perez. You know, you get something out of him. You take a flyer. You take yeah. a flyer on somebody that could be a lottery ticket. We were talking earlier about guys at the AAA level, such as Jose Siri, that you know maybe we could turn around and flip in a deal for a um, to a team that's rebuilding. Right. Uh, you know, you know, for a bullpen arm. You know, it's not just bad teams that that take that want to look at lottery tickets. Good teams can do it too. So that's just just great work by our front office and getting Barry Hill in. Yeah, and, and talking about the Marisnik trade, they they picked up an outfielder, Kennedy Corona, who's had a pretty good season. He's not hitting for high average, but you're seeing what kind of stuff you're getting from him. He's got 12 doubles, 16 stolen bases this year. He's a 21-year-old outfielder. And then also in that trade, they acquired Blake Taylor, and we've, we've seen what he can do. So you're right, getting value for these guys that uh, either don't have a place on your roster or on your team and just getting something back in return and, and basically taking a flyer has been has been uh, has worked out for the Astros, and hopefully they'll continue to do that. Well, yeah, just one quick thing. But, like, when, you know, with Marisnik, with Perez – no disrespect to either one of them, but if those guys had hit free agency, we're not going to get a comp pick of any sort for them. Right, for sure. So just the fact that Luna would have the foresight, and I'm sure James Quick will do this as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to cite him at all, uh, but you know, just the fact that he would have the foresight to, okay, let's just go ahead and move him out. We're going to get something. We'll restock some position in our minor league system, take a, a, a flyer. And like you said, Blake Taylor was also part of that deal. It's yep. just, I, I love doing it. It's something that you and I used to talk about back in the Drayton years where you know, we could see that there was a problem whenever we felt like we were smarter than our own front <laughs> office. But yeah. that is no longer the case. It hasn't been for quite some time. So, That's yeah. right. So, down in the uh, Florida Complex League, there's two prospects which uh, to just want to put out there for everyone to keep an eye on. Christian Gonzalez, who's an outfitter, and Dory Lorenzo, who's a shortstop. And uh, Gonzalez has an 883 OPS with two homers in like 13 games. And then Lorenzo's only got a 589 OPS but has uh, really allowed tools and I'll be really interested to see how those guys perform in, in their first opportunity in the Astro system, you know, stateside. And um, hopefully if everything goes well, maybe they'll get an opportunity with Fayetteville at some point this year. But once again, we're just seeing, despite the, the national media ranking the Astros system at, you know, 29th or 30th in baseball, as we go over this, you see that the, the great performances are having from each level. And I think that just shows the depth that the Astros have wired. And, um, you know, they're doing it with guys that maybe aren't these top 100 prospects, but they're getting production out of a, a lot of different players. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's just a, 
a testament to our scouting and player development. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been top notch for almost a decade now, um, which, like I said, was a far cry from where we were for the previous decade. So it's just amazing to continue to see that. And that vision that Luno had whenever he first came on board was to keep that minor league system churning out because you you always want to be able to have someone that you could bump up and look at St. Louis. They've been decent to great for 25 plus years because their system is always spitting somebody out. Yep. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to the podca- uh, podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to follow at Apollo HOU for blogs, merch, video, podcasts, and more original Houston sports content not found anywhere else. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode of the Astros Future Podcast covering your Astros in the minor league system.